Today's guest is a relationship and personal coach who has dedicated himself to helping people develop, maintain, and enjoy healthy, happy relationships with themselves and with others. In his book, Ted shares his personal experience of navigating unhealthy relationships, and we discuss the reality of living in an abusive relationship, how he got out, the healing process, and of course, new lovers. Ladies and gentlemen, Ted Smith. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. I had a, a coaching session from 7 to, or 6.30 to 8.30, so, and then I'm booked the next two nights, so, um, but I wanted to make this happen, so. Oh, well, thank you for, thank you for <laughs> coming on. Congratulations on your new book as well. Thank Healthy you. Healthy Me, Happy, trans, uh, Happy Transforming Relationships. What made you um, want to write a book? You know, um, I went through a 15-year abusive relationship I found in the last two years that, you know, going through the healing journey, sharing my story with others, I found that it really impacted them. Um, people thanked me for sharing their story and said it really made a difference for them. And I'm like, oh, there's something there. <laughs> so um, I felt into that and um, I, I've, I felt inspired to become coaching others as well. But what led me to write the book, I actually had a session with a psychic and he asked me if I was interested in or had ever thought about writing a book. And he was the one who actually put, he tuned into my spirit guides and, and shared with me that what they, what he was seeing for me was, um, you're going to write a book about relationships and it's going to be about your story and it's going to document your experience and it's going to help other people. And so that was the first kind of glimmer of, of something. Um, I had written some fiction as a teenager. Um, so I, I was, you know, and I, I, I've always enjoyed writing, but I had never thought about writing something in the self-help arena. So um, I let that percolate for a little bit. And then a few months later, I joined a, a coaching program for authors. So um, yeah, it's, it's been a really exciting journey and, like I said, I, you know, I, I found my purpose is to help people. And so that is really what drove wanting to write the book. So you mentioned that you were in a relationship for 15 years. I think there's a difference that was, that was abusive. And I think there's a difference between it being in a relationship that's abusive and getting out of it and moving on and then wanting to put that in pen to paper and sort of almost re reliving it. What was it about it though that you wanted to to do that and to and to put that pen to paper? My go-to message and the you know what I want to share and instill in people is the biggest lesson that I needed to learn, which was that the most important relationship we have is the relationship with ourselves. Mm. And that was something I had no clue about for the longest time. And I learned, in fact, that, you know, the abuse I received from him was an exact mirror of the abuse that I put onto myself. 
um, the relationships we have with other people are a direct reflection of what's going on inside us. And when we have a healthy relationship with ourselves inside, mm. um, and as we continue to nurture that relationship and, and get a healthier and healthy relationship with ourselves, the relationships around us change, whether that means, um, you know, certain people maybe not interacting with them as much or at all, or the people that we have known for a long time, the, the dynamics of those relationships change and mature and evolve. Um, and like I said, it all has to do with what's going on inside us. And so, you know, that's what I really wanted to convey in the book is the importance of really starting with that relationship with ourselves. Um, but in my case, um, sometimes our external relationships are so toxic and so abusive and so disruptive that we have to remove those from our life first before we can begin um, even start to focus on that relationship with ourselves. That was the, that was the case for me. Okay. In terms of your relationship and, and the 15 years that you said that you were in it, what was the day to day? What made it, what made it an abusive relationship compared to a healthy relationship? Yeah. The important part of what I would want to share and answer to that question is while we did have many explosive arguments, um, and there was blatant, you know, emotional abuse that I feel like maybe anybody could recognize, although I didn't necessarily. <laughs> um, the day-to-day, -day, it was more subtle than that. There's a cycle of abuse that I also didn't understand um, where, you know, it's kind of a four-step process and then it repeats. Step one is where tension builds. Tension step two is where the um, where the the tension builds and it kind of erupts into some sort of event where the abuser snaps. Um, step three is the reconciliation portion, and step four is a period of calm, also known as like a love bombing stage or where things are good. And what but I how, didn't understand how is that abusive in terms of because. In any relationship, there's tension that builds. You guys have, you have arguments. Um, that's no one can get on 100% of the time. Like that is a normal part of a relationship mm -hmm. to have disagreements. Um, what turns that into having a disagreement into an unhealthy and abusive relationship? Because I think there's a there's a difference there that I think needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, there's a few things. So one being that love bombing, that calm stage is a form of manipulation. It's not the, you know, two people wanting to be in love and, and wanting to be there for each other. And this is how the relationship should be. It is intentional on the abuser's part for there to be selective about when they are loving and nurturing and how a partner should be to place that um, intentionally in the cycle to keep the abused person around. So there's that aspect of it. So it's m more manipulation, emotional manipulation exactly. in the calming yes. stage. Okay. And then when it comes to the arguments themselves, there is very much a difference between 
healthy and unhealthy disagreements. Any relationship is going to have disagreements. There's, you know, no two people are going to agree on every single thing. Um, I like to be careful about using the term fighting because, mm. um, like I said, anybody, uh, any couple is going to disagree at times, but it's yeah. how you go about them. Is there disrespect? Is there yelling? Is there name calling? Is there an acknowledgement of each other's feelings? So if you and I are having a conversation and I don't understand why you feel a certain way, am I saying, you know, help me understand? Or am I saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way? Being dismissive of your partner or, and this goes beyond romantic relationships too. It's, it's really a relationship you have with anyone. Um, our feelings are always valid. And so to dismiss or deny or to convince the other person that they shouldn't feel that way is not healthy. And some people do that um, without even realizing it. You know, there's there's a lot of friendships where somebody's really upset, they're grieving, or they're, you know, uh, really sad about something. And the, the friend who wants to console is saying, oh, don't be sad. Look on the bright side. Um, you know, things like that. And we struggle to understand the importance of allowing someone to feel their feelings. Because if you, if you want them to distract themselves or, or shove it down, shove those feelings down, that's not healthy either. Um, but that dismissing, that ignoring, that sort of thing, that can escalate to a point of an abusive situation where it is intentional. And and I think are you wanting to use the the different definitions instead of having a fight to a disagreement because fight has a connotation of being physical. For me, the word fighting implies yelling. Yeah, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be physical, but you know, raised voices in a way that you're you're angry in an unhealthy way. I can still be angry, but in a healthy way and share, you know, I'm feeling really angry right now and here's why without attacking the other person. Um, you know, there's a, there's a very different, there's a difference between healthy and unhealthy anger as well. Well, I think if you're in an argument with your significant other and you start name calling, I think then that's, um, pretty much the end of the relationship. I don't think you can come back if you start calling your partner names to reconcile that situation. What did a day-to-day look like for you in terms of your relationship? Because you were in it for 15 years and a lot of people would turn around and say, well, why didn't you just get out as soon as this started happening? Why weren't you able to recognise the situation? And I think it's important to acknowledge, do you have any clinical psychology background at all? I do not. Okay. My experience is based on my lived experience. Okay. So explain why, and for those that are listening, why you stayed for 15 years, because that was a lot, it's a long period of time. I don't know how (laughs) old you are. So I'd say it's a huge chunk of your life. You look very young. (laughs) You look 21. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Um, I'm 34. We got together when I was 17. He was 22. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is a long time, um, and there are many layers as to why I stayed. 
part of that being the cycle of abuse that I mentioned earlier, um, that love bombing stage, I clung on to those moments, those often very brief moments of happiness because I believed that they would last longer than they did. Mm-hmm. And in those periods of strife, I would, you know, be like, oh, why can't things be the way they used to be? Or, and, or I believe things will get better. I was never in the present moment. I was always looking in my mind and my heart to escape the present moment. Um, I found after leaving him that I was never actually in love with him. I was in love with his potential. Hmm. That's an interesting... I believed and still believe that he could do amazing things with his life if he would imply himself, not only in career and different hobbies and interests he had, but also in being a good partner. The the capacity... I guess the propensity is maybe the right term. The propensity is there. Um, And because I believed that things would change, that's what kept me around for so long, part of it. And then another reason was codependency. Mm. I believed that we were in it for the long haul, that we were, we had a kind of a blended identity and that, my happiness was contingent on his happiness and that if I left him, he would be unhappy. Therefore I would be unhappy. I believed that his, that he was dependent on me for survival. Um, I believed that he could not live without me. His health problems were quite significant all because of alcoholism. Um, but they were so bad that I was pretty much his full-time caretaker, his full-time nurse at home because of daily episodes that he would have. Um, And, you know, nobody else in his life knew the extent of what he was going through physically and mentally. So nobody else would be equipped to take care of him. And he wasn't able to take care of himself. Therefore, I was basically stuck with him. From what I'm hearing is, and again, I'm not a, any fault, functioning more on here like I'm not a psychologist um but in terms of you staying it sounds like it was really out of obligation absolutely yeah and I would say that if you're in that situation there's a lot of in the terms of that love bombing and erupting there's probably a lot of hen pecking that happens and that sort of chips away at that self-worth and self-esteem so is that is that sort of what happened with you what (laughs) (laughs) self-esteem Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was it's it was one thing for to hear and listen to and and take to heart the abusive and really condescending and um, you know comments that put me down on a day to day basis. But I was doing the same thing in my own head. Um. So well, I think there's something to be said that the worst critic out there is our own self critic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and. You know, we only, the level of abuse that we're willing to tolerate from other people is exactly equal to what we're tolerating from ourselves. Oh, that's interesting because I think that I tolerate a lot, now I tolerate a lot less from others than what I do from myself. 
I think I'm far more critical than what I allow others to openly be critical of myself. But that's been a learned thing. I never used to be like that. I used to just, I mean, I've never, I've never been in an abusive relationship, but I've, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of situations and friends and work environments and yeah. Yeah. And I should, I should clarify, it's not exactly equal. Like the, we won't tolerate any more abuse from other people that we put on ourselves. So anything from other people is going to be as bad or less than. Less. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. And so what I put up with from him, you know, just shows you how, (laughs) what was going on in my own head for Mm. 15 years. You mentioned there was alcoholism there. What what was a day-to-day like? What what would a normal day look like for you guys? Yeah, <laughs> normal. Um, so five years in to our relationship, um, he had his first grand mal seizure. Um, and after that point, he had a history of seizure episodes, what we would call mini seizures. So over the, the last decade of our relationship, the health problems kind of deteriorated further and further. And the more he would drink, the worse his symptoms would get. And his symptoms were all across the board. Dizziness, memory loss, weakness, trouble sleeping, headaches, body pain, disassociation, um, significant mood changes, just complete disorientation, all these things. And every night was some combination of those, but it was very um, uncommon for there to be a pattern. So basically every day was unpredictable. I could expect some combination of them, but I didn't know what combination I would get. What initially caused the seizure? Was he epileptic or was it from the alcohol? It's the alcohol. Yeah, okay. which is very rare from my understanding. Again, I'm not a doctor, but supposedly the um, the the neural connection of alcoholism or alcohol use and seizures is very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding about what I learned at the very end of our relationship when rock bottom hit, which I can go into that story if you'd like, um, was that seizures were his body's way of crying out for help because his alcoholism was so severe. Okay. In addition to these symptoms, was he angry? <laughs> yes. Okay. So you were you didn't know what you were waking up to every morning? Or from one hour to the next. Yes. Right. Okay. So it was that volatile. Yeah. What was the turning point that made you um, get out? I finally hit rock bottom um, three months before I ended the relationship. His alcoholism has got had gotten so severe that... His body couldn't go eight hours without booze, without going into shock. He had three grand mal seizures in one night, mm-hmm. and um, which had never happened before. He had never had more than one in a given day. Um, so during the third one, I called 911 and um, called an ambulance. And paramedics came. He was admitted to the ICU for a week um, going through alcohol withdrawal which is an experience for me as an observer that I would not wish on anyone. Um, That week in the ICU was horrific. It was like something you'd see in a TV show. Um, He was, he had hallucinations and um, just complete 
I I felt like there was a demon trapped inside him at times. Based they were on... medicating him to help. No, with they, were. Symptoms? Oh, they were. They were, okay. but the the mind's way of detoxing from alcohol and and Xanax was the other. That was too. Oh, I learned it was that was one of the most lethal chemical combinations and and a person can be addicted to and have to detox from is alcohol and Xanax. Right. Um, if they didn't medicate him at the proper frequency with the right dosage, he would have died. It is a yeah. very delicate situation. Um, but while the body is going through that process, it, <laughs> I don't even, it's hard to even explain. Um, it, I mean, he ripped out his IVs at one point cause he was so furious with me. I was trying to explain to him about a certain procedure that they were going to do. And I, I mean, I thought I experienced abuse before, but the, the fury and the rage I saw in his eyes that week was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And that was my tipping point. That was my point where I realized I cannot do this anymore. I need help. I, it wasn't, I wasn't yet at the point where I was ready to leave him but I knew I could no longer play nurse for him forever. So I started going to therapy. I started going to Al-Anon, which is the equivalent of AA, but for the family and family members and friends of alcoholics. Um, and those two things saved my life, basically. I started to realize and feel into the importance of loving myself doing things to take care of myself and not focusing all my energy and attention on him because that was not serving either one of us. What did that exit strategy look like? Had you, before you broke up with him, did you have an exit strategy? Did you have another place to go to? Like what was that planning process? Or did you just say, I can't do this anymore. I'm done on one day. The next, the three months that followed that ICU um, stay were it, it was a lot so um, as I said prior to that point I hadn't really understood that I was in an abusive situation yeah so in tandem with the alcoholism I learned what narcissism was mm -hmm. and read these posts by mostly women who who shared their stories about um, being with an abusive partner and I realized Oh my God, I am reading about my life. Um, What's the definition of narcissism? Narcissism is for someone who um, ha has no empathy for other people. They have a grandiose version of themselves. They, um, they're, they're never at fault for anything. They basically see nothing beyond their own, their own tunnel vision. Everything, everything okay. revolves around them. Everything, um, even the slightest difference of opinion <laughs> is met with extreme resistance. And, you know, I heard several stories from friends after the fact about these things that he considered transgressions of theirs that were literally nothing to do with him but he saw them as a betrayal. It was just a very extreme, dramatic um, 
being to be around. So when you're reading these, uh, were they Facebook posts from other women? From women, I found it was a blog post written first that I that was shared by a woman who lived with a a husband that was a narcissist, and I was like, oh my god, and and then uh, at the bottom of that article she shared, and now I'm an admin for a Facebook group known as Living with Narcissist Emotional Abuse, and so I joined that Facebook group and post after post after post i'm like oh my god i had no idea like i i didn't realize that you know i i thought i was alone i i didn't realize that there was a name for what i was going through um, and that other people had shared experiences and it was actually that group that helped me understand the best way to get out of that situation so going back to your question about formulating that exit plan like I said, those last three months were challenging. <laughs> there was a point about a month and a half in, so about halfway through that process where, you know, so he he agreed to do rehab, um, but he only stayed for a week when he should have been in for at least 30 days, decided it wasn't for him, and then came home. And within a couple of weeks, he was drinking again. And, you know, the Ted before that rock bottom would have... And I did still to to some degree, um, to a large degree, actually. We, you know, we, got, we had a lot of arguments about how he shouldn't be drinking and how this is not okay. And um, But I was starting to kind of step away from that. But there were points at which I, I saw that he was headed down the same path that led to him almost dying in that hospital. And like I, so about a month and a half into that, I packed a bag and I said to him, I sat down with him and I said, I'm going to go stay somewhere else for a while. I need some time to think. And in that conversation, he threatened to kill himself if I were to leave. And I believed him. And so I stayed on the condition that he agreed to seek help because he had stopped seeking help. I learned later that his threat was manipulation. He didn't actually mean that. And that he had no actual, he didn't keep his promise to seek therapy. So in working with that and uh, discussing things with that support group um, and my therapist, I decided the safest and most appropriate way for me to get out would be to leave him with no contact between us to follow. I wrote a letter um, basically telling him that, you know, we're done and you have a month to get your stuff out of this house. And um, I'm filing for divorce. I am filing for a court order for sole possession of this house and wish you the best, but do not contact me ever again. And I have not spoken to him directly since that day. Okay. So you guys were actually, so you guys were married. So you had to go through the whole divorce process and procedure. Yep. Good times. How, <laughs> with his health being so bad, how was he getting the alcohol? Was he driving? Yes. He was driving. So he was going out and getting it himself. Okay. 
And there was still some degree of enabling from me because I thought he was abusive before that ICU stay. What happens when somebody detoxes from alcohol, but they don't go through the proper rehab measures and, you know, AA meetings and all these things to um, heal from the reasons that they drank in the first place? Mm. Their mind, they may be physically detoxed from the alcohol, but emotionally and mentally, they still believe that alcohol is the solution to their problems. Mm. And so he perceived me to be his the barrier, keeping him from how he could feel better. And so the um, those like I said, those three months were quite volatile, mm. even more so than before that. Um, so because of that, and I I've heard this from other experiences as well. It's like my God, I'm just going to hand you the beer. Like I'll hand you the whiskey because I can't take it. I cannot take how you're treating me. Yeah. You said that you haven't had any direct contact with him since you wrote that letter. Had you had any indirect contact with him? Through lawyers. Okay. And then he attempted to contact me through some friends. Um, but I, it, even though I specifically said in the letter, don't contact me through anyone except through the lawyers. Um, and so I put that boundary up. It was my first experience with boundaries. <laughs> when I, um, you know, that ICU stay was the big, the, the starting point for me to learn what the heck a boundary was. Mm. <laughs> I had no concept of that prior. Was that? In addition to seeing his uh, behavior and you said that, that the anger in his eyes that you hadn't really seen to that level before, um, I think you alluded to the fact that he was almost like he was possessed, I think, mm-hmm. at that stage. Yep. Was, it the, was it the nursing staff and the medical staff explaining to you the situation? Is that sort of also what enabled you to be like, I need to set some boundaries? Yeah, I was... I recognized how my codependency was not serving him or me, Mm. me, you know, making all his doctor's appointments and making phone calls for him and like literally doing everything, managing everything with the house, not everything, but most things. Um, You know, I, I wasn't allowing him to have any sort of independence and it was because of my perception that he couldn't do those things. Theoretically, he could have, but I didn't, you know, and it was an ongoing cycle, right? Because he, he believed that I would take care of everything because historically I did. So that's, it was just this innate structure that we had set up. How did he respond with saying you need to get out of the house? I'm assuming you were working and he was not given his health. Correct. How did he respond in terms of, like, the, well, the, uh, I him not having you... a job and I'm leaving him? <laughs> Is that your question? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you're um, out of the house and don't speak to me and, you know. Yeah, it was very much a victim-level response. You know, how am I supposed to support myself, all these things. I knew that there was a, a free home waiting for him with family. Um, and that he would have a house over his head. So it's not like I was kicking him out into the street. Mm. Um, I knew he'd have a roof over his head. 
So, and on top of that, you know, his health problems were all because of his alcohol use. Mm. I, for, for many years, I believed I, my non-medical perception was that alcohol made things worse, but I believed there was something else going on that the doctors just hadn't figured out yet. When I learned that the alcohol literally was the source of all his problems, when he got that diagnosis in the ICU, I'm like, okay, great. Like we have a solution to all your problems. You just got to stop drinking. And like, I have great insurance. We'll get you all the treatment you need. That's all you need. And it was very clear in the months that followed that the booze was more important to him than me or his own life. And I, I'm not going to take, you know, at that point, I was no longer going to take second seat to alcohol. Mm. Had you worded up his family? And friends beforehand. Did you did you have separate friendship groups as well as combined, or was it everything combined? Pretty much everything combined. Okay. Um, like I said, we were basically one person. We did everything together. There was very little separation of having any sort of. I mean, like I said, we got to there when I was seventeen. So, like any friendships that we formed as adults were mutual friends. Yeah. So did you word up his family before you left him? They had a couple warnings along the way. Yeah. I shared while he was in the ICU at one point during that week, you know, he, there was a conversation that made it very clear to me, I can't do this by myself. And so I asked his family to come up and we did an intervention, which I don't know that I necessarily recommend interventions. There's kind of, proven and disproven research on whether they're effective or not, which I learned myself. Um, so I'm just putting that caveat out there. But um, when I read my letter to him in that meeting, that discussion, he kicked kicked us out and basically said, you know, just get out. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to leave and I may not come back. And out in the waiting room immediately following that I shared with some of his family that um, I don't know where this is going to end up. If he can't take care of himself, I don't know that I can be with this anymore. This may end up in divorce. Mm. And so they had their warning then. And then Mm. a couple times along the way, you know, I kept them updated on his health status and where things, how things were going and that sort of thing. And obviously got a crash course on alcoholism. And one of the things I learned is that a lot of addicts have to experience at least one relapse before they take things seriously and decide for themselves that they need to get better. Because an addict is never going to truly get better until they see themselves that it needs to happen. It's not going to take any amount of love or convincing or pleading from other people is not going to do the trick. That's the very form of codependency. It has to be up to the addict to make that decision for themselves. Um, but based on the research I had done, you know, I, I learned that, uh, you know, 
it often takes one or two relapses for an addict to realize that. And so I, I made the decision and I communicated to friends and his family that I would stick around for one relapse. And if he didn't decide to get help after that point, then I would be gone. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. You said that he tried to reach out through friends, mutual friends. What did that look like? He wrote a letter to me um, and sent it to, I believe, at least two different friends. At least two different friends who told me that there was a letter that existed and do they want me to pass it along? And I said no. Um, he sent that same letter to my attorney <laughs> and in the letter, I, I never actually read or heard the exact words from the letter. Cause I, I didn't want to Be subject myself in. to the manipulation that I knew was in the letter. Um, but I asked my attorney to summarize it and he basically said that the letter contained an admission of guilt that he was emotionally manipulative and drank too much and that, you know, all these promises that he would get better and things would be great. And <laughs> sending this to my lawyer was, who was, you know, handling the divorce was not the smartest idea. My attorney read this and was like, jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that just, that, is a perfect example of like the extent that they'll go to and like not even really seeing straight. Like all they can see is I have got to get to him so that I can convince him to come back. Yeah. What's like life been like um, since you ended the relationship and got the divorce? How long did the divorce take to come through? Uh, seven months. So not That's fast. Terribly. Uh, yeah, I'm well, it didn't feel fast. <laughs> well, I, I say that because I have, um, <laughs> I have friends that have gone through the divorce process. I'm happily married and honey, if you listen to this, I'm not looking into it or thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but you have to have a, uh, a separation of 12 months before you can actually file for divorce in Australia, I believe. And there are um, certain, sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. That's what there I, are, that's there are one. certain states in the U S that require that as well. And I learned that and I'm like, thank God. And I am also so grateful that we never adopted kids. I cannot even imagine trying to co-parent with him. Um, uh, just, I'm so grateful that we never mm. took that step. Um, and yeah, so it was seven months long. It was frustrating because it could have been much shorter. We had a pretty simple separation, but it was dragged out by both him and his attorney. Um, well, the but, attorneys want cash, don't they? Of you know, course. It's more billing right? hours, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I learned through that process, like... <laughs> the interactions in that in that process were exactly the same as they were during our relationship. Like 
the victim mentality, the entitlement. Um, you know, he didn't work for the last year of our relationship and for the vast majority of our relationship, I earned 80 to 90% of our income. Um, and I should have gone with my gut to get a prenup, but I did not. And so he ended up getting a 50, 50 share. And, um, you know, that, that part, part was frustrating. And I am also grateful that we were only married for three years <laughs> and not more than that. Um, because that divorce was very expensive for me. <laughs> but it's some of the best money that I've ever spent. So no regrets. <laughs> well, you got out, didn't you? So that's the that's the the main thing really. Yep. What's life been like now you've sort of um regained your independence? I never knew or understood what happiness was until I left him. Um, even a few weeks after that, I was out for a run. I took up running after leaving him. Oh, and, God, um, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just had a moment. I remember I was out on a run, and uh, I had this moment of peace, and I'm just like, oh, my God, is this what happiness feels like? This is awesome. Wow. I had no idea. Because any moments of any momentary, you know, elements of happiness that occurred during a relationship were always yanked away with a moment's notice. Because um, I always had to constantly be on guard for that next shoe to drop, that next snide comment, or that, um, you know, look from him that would just make my heart sink. So, um, you know, since leaving him, my life has just skyrocketed into this amazing, amazing transformation. Um, That's awesome. I've continued with therapy. I've been, I discovered a group called Gay Man Thriving, which is a coaching organization for gay men. And I've been working with them for almost two years now. And um, I believe that doing both therapy and coaching at the same time has really done that skyrocketing that I just mentioned. Like many people comment on like, wow, so much has changed for you in two years. And I believe it's a lot of that. Like I, I decided after leaving him that I was never going back to any, any realm of what that used to be. Like I am only moving forward from here and I'm only going to be happy from now on. And the the new lever, le levels and layers of happiness that I've discovered since then, it's like, I, I it's it was unfathomable for a while for me. And now it's like, what's next? This is really cool. It's exciting. That's, um, and I, I did capture the slip of the tongue there when you said lover, it's fine. I'll just sort of skip over that. <laughs> Glad you're happy back, you love. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe not. Um, maybe you're just having fun. Tell me, what was the catalyst, though, to write the book? Because you've sort of gone on this um, enormous journey in regards to dealing with this uh, abusive relationship. You've got yourself out. It's only been two years. What was the catalyst to I want to share my story and, and relive it through the book? Because the book is based on your relationship, is it not? Yes. Mm-hmm. About five months after I left him, 
I went to an in-person live retreat with Gay Man Thriving and shared my story there. And the number of guys that came up to me on breaks and thanked me for sharing my story and said I was an inspiration, which I had never heard that before. Like you're, that's probably the best compliment I could ever receive is you are an inspiration. And even the guys who, there was one guy who came up to me and said, you know, I can't, I can't 100% relate to your story because I've never been in an abusive relationship. But what I got from your story was it's never too late to take control of your own life and choose happiness for yourself. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, so my story is not only helpful for people like me, it can be helpful for others too. So that was the first seed planted. Um, and I started to have like ideas of wanting to coach in some capacity at some point. And then a few months later, I had that session with a psychic that um, planted the seed for the book. What made you want to go to a psychic? What's that? What made you go to a psychic? A friend that I met through Gay Man Thriving actually had a session with him and said it was mind-blowing. And um, I'm into all sorts of woo-woo stuff and spiritual things, too. So I, you know, I, I, I definitely believe there are hacks out there when it comes yeah. to psychics but there are definitely those who are gifted can, in that regard who are yeah. legit um yeah. and there were things that this guy said to me that there's no way he could have known in advance so i knew i knew there the energy was there um for it to be you know for it to really stick with me about the book but you know the the few months that followed like i had this inkling of an idea for a book but i I didn't really know how to formulate it. Um, and then my main coach at Gay Man Thriving was connected to an author coach. And I scheduled a conversation with him and I joined a, a coaching program for authors. Um, that was a, a phenomenal experience. And within a few months, I had a first manuscript drafted, um, all because of working with other people. I, you know, I think one of the things that the other element to my message to people is that you know the the most important relationship we have is with ourselves and at the same time you know this work that we do to heal and transform is ours to do um, for ourselves but doing it with other people and the help of other people is what really makes things happen there's only so much that we can do alone um, are you at a stage now? I'm going to totally go back to the whole lover slip of the tongue thing now. Are you in a <laughs> are you in a are you in a stage of your life now that um you're open to relationships? Yeah, I am. Um, and there's a few layers to that as well. So I so thought um, you were going to say there was a few people involved in that. No, not yet. I, I mean, who knows? <laughs> um. So about five months after leaving my ex, um, I began a 10-month relationship with a Uh man. Mm -hmm. And it was my first experience with a healthy relationship. It was Mm -hmm. beautiful, amazing. I finally felt what it was to be truly loved and for me to be happy. And and just, it was was wonderful. There were things toward the end that... um, made me realize it wasn't the best fit for me. And so I ended it, but I am so grateful for him and that, and that time together, we're still friends. And, um, I, I very much appreciate 
that experience. And then since then, so I ended that uh, seven months ago. Um, I've really been single since then for the first time ever. Good I don't you. really count those five months after leaving my ex-husband because that was Stealing. such a raw yeah. and just very different time. Um, and so in the last seven months, I'm, I'm like a gaby. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like first out on the mo- a gay baby, like when uh. you're like either when you first come out or you know when you first like get out of a relationship, like basically just, gay dating for the first time. That's you're just having thing. fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and I am just having fun. Like I, I've met some friends along the way, and I've had a couple uh. <laughs> Uh, experiences that could have led to unhealthy relationships, but but because I've cultivated a healthy relationship with myself, I'm able to notice red flags and and notice when I'm feeling uncomfortable about somebody. Um, So I was able to end that, you know, one experience three weeks in, which was very different from 15 years. (laughs) So I'm very, very happy about that. Um, I'm experiencing another relationship now where, you know, so like where I'm at now is, I feel like a lot of people, you know, they go through a marriage and and if they get divorced, they become anti-marriage. Like I'm never getting married again. Like it doesn't work, all these things. For me, I also don't know that I'm ever going to get married again, but it's not because I'm anti-marriage. It's more of like with how quickly I've been growing and transforming over the last two years and seeing how quickly things can change. I just don't see how it makes sense to commit to someone forever. Mm. Um, Not to say that it can't happen, but for me, I just don't know that it makes the most sense. Well, Um, you're probably also at a stage where most people are in terms of their early twenties, when you're sort of out dating and you're sort of understanding what you're looking for in a partner and, and, um, getting to know yourself in that sense. And I think mm-hmm. that if given that you're in a situ- a relationship since 17, that was sort of taken from you because yes. you were in a relationship, you're sort of almost experiencing that now in your thirties, you know, going yes. through that stage. And, and I don't think that that's unreasonable to say, Hey, not at the moment. It's not, you know, right. not on the radar. Yeah. That's the term gaby. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's about having fun now and just, taking my own advice too about cultivating a healthy relationship with myself. I am loving living alone. It's the first time I've lived alone. I started to, you know, a couple of years ago, but um, I never, I went from my parents' house to the college dorm to living with my ex-husband. I never got the experience of living on my own and being on my own time, doing my own thing, only having to worry about myself. And it's awesome. <laughs> it's liberating. It is, it's just, you know, part of me is resistant to giving that up and and that's okay like maybe that's a forever thing maybe not you know i'm only seven months into that so think things will change i'm sure um but when it comes to relationships like there's some there there's some degree where i want like casual things like fun like that sort of stuff but i don't know that that's really for me and i also don't I'm not looking for something serious or committed or long term right now and i'm looking for something in between so something that's meaningful but that doesn't have a short-term commitment to it a promise like there's no pressure um 
and I've been experiencing that and navigating that with with a guy and it's been really fun and just it's refreshing to be in the same place as someone else and just kind of navigating that together and knowing that if things do change and we're no longer a good fit that's okay like it's it's not it doesn't have to be this devastating heartbreaking you know disillusion of a relationship we can you know grieve the loss still but remain friends and be happy for each other and pursuing you know what makes what works for you know each of us the 10 month relationship that you got into after your divorce um you said that it was a very healthy relationship but there were some things that obviously weren't right for the both of you yep how liberating was that the ability to sort of say this is not right i'm walking away from it it was liberating after the fact it yeah. was very challenging for me to make that decision and call it off um, because I didn't want to hurt him because of mm. how good he was to me and how good of a man he was. It was much in a way, although not 100%, but like to some degree, it was much easier to leave my ex-husband because he was such a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> And so for the other guy, you know, he's such a loving, nurturing, generous, funny, like just amazing guy and was very good to me. And it was liberating in the sense that I had this gut feeling that it wasn't for me any longer. Mm -hmm. And um, I you know, trusting my gut and making the decision based on my gut was liberating. It was reaffirming to myself that I I can listen to my own intuition now mm. and not question myself like I did for 15 years, not mm. really knowing, um, you know, not trusting myself. You mentioned that you've been um, doing the coaching. Are you, you're coaching as well now? Yes, I am. So what is your area of uh, coaching yeah and i haven't necessarily landed on a specific kind of coaching yet i think the theme for me is relationship coaching but the primary relationship that i'm working with with clients is their relationship with themselves so i can help people navigate things with other people i've learned a lot about healthy relationships with other people and that's in my book as well Um, but so much of that and in our everyday life, whether it's, you know, career hobbies, all sorts of things, all sorts of different interactions that we have, like I said, it's all a reflection of what's going on inside. And so working with my clients to, um, understand what thoughts they have, what they tell themselves, how they feel about certain things kind of what's all going on inside that brain and inside that heart to help them navigate things in in healthier ways. But isn't that just um, what a therapist would do? Like what's the difference between having that as a therapist compared to coming to you and having those coaching sure. services? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way I explain therapy versus coaching is – you know, for me, I've benefited from both, and there are overlaps between the two. What I perceive is that therapy, so if you think of a continuum of 
our human experience, what can also be called the ego, um, kind of what we live in a day-to-day world, day-to-day life. Um, on one side of that, you have the spirit, which is the higher self, the um, our connection to the universe or God or your higher power, whatever you want to call it. And then on the other end of that spectrum or that relationship is the soul, which is like the, the at the deepest level, um, you know, who you are underneath at a subconscious level. And um, again, there are overlaps, but my perception is that therapy really helps you go deep into the soul work and coaching helps you um, expand into that higher self. So therapy helps you resolve issues from the past, heal old wounds, heal trauma from your childhood, from old relationships, all the things that um, that prevent us from being happy. Mm-hmm. And then coaching, the, the, the purpose of that is to really help you unleash your own power, recognize what your talents are, and then pursue them. So putting up, um, setting up accountability from a coach to, hey, I want you to do X, Y, Z this week to really tap into your fullest potential. So it's more of the accountability side of things that you're working on okay accountability and kind of stretching people out of their comfort zone um therapy helps people what's that that's where you find growth being uncomfortable exactly yep Mm. how do people get on get hold of you ted for your services uh my website is tedsmith.life and there's several links on that page um my email address is ted at tedsmith.life can reach out to me that way to schedule a complimentary session and then at the on the website links the tedsmith.life you can connect with me on instagram and facebook join my email list um and ways like that and you've also got your book healthy me happy transforming relationships yep healthy me happy we transforming relationships with yourself and others available on amazon Perfect. I'll link everything in the show notes. Thanks, Ted. Lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 